Welcome into the show. It is Daniel Wertman coming to you live from the Dream Imaginate Sports Studios. It is Wednesday morning, 8 a.m. on the East Coast, 6 a.m. out in the mountains. And if you're high up in those mountains, hopefully you're staying warm during this January 2020. Thanks for watching the show. Welcome in as well as to all time zones in and around the world. Thanks for watching the show. Thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for following the show as well. And um, looking forward to coming up here in just a few minutes uh, to be joined by uh, a couple guys. First time on the show. Um couple guys from the Spitting Fire podcast and uh, looking forward to introducing them to you and, and really getting into some things and really looking at uh, American soccer through the lens of Chicago. And uh, I think it's going to be a fun, uh, fun chat and looking forward to having them on. It's a little bit of a... Um, uh, reciprocation from uh, an appearance I had on their show last year and uh, thought it'd be fun to have them on to kind of do a little bit of a reverse and an opposite and kind of dig into some of their thoughts on uh, you know American soccer and especially like I said uh, soccer in Chicagoland as well as sports in Chicagoland so looking forward to having that chat here in just a few minutes but before we do I really wanted to kind of open the show today talking about the importance of a club philosophy it is it is a core piece of in my view a successful club to have an identity whatever that might be and uh, and your club philosophy in in my view could be in 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 and to me if you're doing it right and doing it really well it should be reflective of your culture and your community as well but it, it it the importance of having one in the first place. Um, there are so many things that that are byproducts that are good byproducts that come out of having a club wide philosophy. For example, getting all of your coaches on the same page it creates more streamlined communication. From a document state uh, documentation standpoint, it helps you educate and teach new coaches quicker um, so that everybody's on the same page by having a club-wide philosophy. You have something you can turn to, something that you can lean on, something that you can use as a guide or or direction um, to, to help coaches get on the same page. It also helps uh, from a player development standpoint. Um, you know, to, to really get players developed, it's not just having the right coach, but likely these players that that uh, are in the club, the, the sons and daughters uh, of your community that are coming into a club are going to go through multiple coaches. And so having a club-wide philosophy is a big deal because you can help nurture that development in the right way by having a streamlined process and a, a consistent process for player development. And I, I mentioned just a minute ago, coaching education. So, so key getting coaches on the same page, getting new coaches indoctrinated in the right way uh, in terms of the way the club wants to see the game and play the game is also essential. It also helps from the standpoint of parents. Um, if you really want to get parents understanding, you know, what is expected of them? What is expected of their sons and daughters? Uh, what can they expect of their coaches? What can they expect of the club as an organization? Having a club-wide philosophy will definitely help that because each coach 
is giving a piece of that club's philosophy. Um, the, The easy way to think of it is your club has a philosophy right now. Really, the better way to think of it is this way. Your club has a philosophy right now. It's just you, you may not have been intentional about what that philosophy is. You may not have written it down. You may not have documented it. But whatever you're doing right now is your club philosophy. So, for example, if your coaches are on different pages, if they're all doing different things, and every parent's experience with a, with a coach is, is completely random. So one coach is big on possession. Another is big on teaching positional play, which incorporates possession. But you have other coaches that play direct and over the top. Your, your, your club's philosophy when it comes to a style of play is chaos. It's random. Why? Because there's no consistency. So you have, as a club, you have a club philosophy right now. That's the, that's the dirty little secret in all this. But what is it? What are you doing? What is your club really about? And that's the answer you got to figure out. What do you want it to be? And when you get it, distill it down into bite-sized information. Get it into documentation that is easily presentable and understood to, to, to get distributed and disseminated in a way where people can comprehend it. Because it's not just about what you know or what you say, but it's what they learn and understand. And that goes for your coaches, that goes for your players, as well as your parents. So it's really important to, to, to have a club-wide philosophy. It is, it is so essential. And if, if you want to really build a quality club, uh, regardless of whether you're a professional uh, MLS setup or you are a, you know, a local pay-to-play youth club, you can still provide better value and better customer experience for your members in your community by being intentional about your club's philosophy. Uh, speaking of being intentional, if you haven't made up your mind about going to visit ducktickbrand.com, I encourage you to do it today. Um, it, it will definitely, um, be a, a site worth visiting. And when you do, when you check them out for their, um, you know, their player notebooks, their goalkeeping notebooks their coaching notebooks, they have apparel, it's quality stuff, and it can definitely aid you in your player development, your coaching, etc. Use promo code DW Show, and you will get ten percent off of your next order. Again, that is DW Show, and you will get ten percent off of your next order at DuckDickBrand.com. We'll be right back after this.
into the show this morning. Thanks for tuning in. It is Wednesday, and uh, really excited to have uh, joining the show a couple guys from uh, a fellow podcast uh, out there, James and Jiggly from the Spitting Fire podcast. Guys, welcome to the show this morning. How are you? Doing fantastic there, Daniel. How you doing? I am well. Um, so I want to kind of first kind of get into a little bit of your origin story, something I love to do when we have guests on for the very first time to kind of go back to the beginning. Where did, where did the love affair for the game of soccer begin and kind of connect with each of you? So, uh, James, maybe you'll go first. And then after maybe Jiggly, you can jump in with your, with your story as well. Uh, sounds like a point. Well, I guess for me, it just started with like one of my first soccer memories. Uh, just, uh, and it's something that I've always, like, I, I've always enjoyed the game. Uh, when I first found out about it, found out a couple of my friends were playing in the neighborhood, like in second grade, I'm like, well, heck, put me on the team. Uh, and it was a rec league. So everybody's on different teams. So I wasn't exactly on all my buddies' teams. So it was a bit of a competition. And I just remember there was this one game where this guy's on a breakaway and I caught up to him, slide tackled the ball away perfectly. And my coach was like, all right. And I basically started me the rest of the season and we won the championship. And I, it was like my first season. And just from there, I just had that love of the game and growing up, my little brother got involved, uh, my little sister and my dad eventually started coaching us. Uh, he also coached me in hockey. So that was really nice. And uh, he coached my little brother in soccer. And, and it's just, uh, I got to be a part of uh, his coaching experience a little bit. He let me, I'm only, you know, a couple years older than my brother, but I got to be a little bit of an assistant coach and hang around and help, help these kids learn soccer a little bit better, help myself become a better player. And just through the years, just doing that, uh, growing up, just appreciating the game, uh, Chicago Fire being born, you know, 1997, right when my love of the game was starting to grow, I, I felt, you know, a big affinity for Chicago Fire. And uh, my uncle was taking me to games at Soldier Field. It was just like, we, and uh, it was just a blast to, to be a soccer fan at that time. And that's where my big love of soccer started. Uh, my, my dad won a few championships with my little brother playing soccer. And then uh, we, we grew up through the years. He kept playing soccer. Uh, got, uh, he went to a higher level. Uh, and then, you know, we graduated, got all that. We started living our lives. And also, Chicago Fire came back into our lives. We're like, hey, should we become season ticket holders? And they're like, you know, we're at both at a point in our lives. We're like, yeah, well, why the heck not? We start becoming season ticket holders. And during that season, we're like, you know, we're looking for podcasts. We're looking for people that talk soccer. And and the people came and go, we noticed. And there were some people we were really fond of and, and fond of their work. And eventually, I started doing a little writing for, like, some, some of the side projects. I think Jiggly also will mention that. Uh, and that, and and just to do some writing, it just you know facilitated more love of my love of the game, analysis of the game, trying to understand how to watch the game and how to distill it and explain it to other people, and to spread that love of the game as well. And so eventually, I kind of stopped writing because it was just you know it just didn't fit into my time schedule. And then me and my brother being uh, uh, being you know technologically you know aware, we're like you know why not we just say chuck it, we'll uh, start a YouTube channel, we'll just start talking about these guys. We started that about two and a half years ago, and and uh, from there we you know we started small. Nobody was really paying attention to us. We had one or two viewers, and then uh, uh, halfway uh, you know maybe five six months of that, Jiggly uh, came around and he started watching us, and we kind of brought him into the fold. Another guy talked soccer. We got uh, a friend around us in our season ticket holder season was like, oh Jiggly, oh he's a good kid, and we're like, oh we'll bring Jiggly into the fold, and we start talking soccer with him, and then from there all of a sudden. 
uh, we were able to reach out to bigger members of the soccer community and talk, bring them into our podcast and just start talking soccer from there. And it's really crazy how Twitter allowed us to grow. Uh, it's such an incredible, powerful tool. I got to say, Twitter. It's uh, what we put in contact with you, uh, Daniel. We reached out to you one time and had you on our podcast. And, and that was what an awesome, amazing episode where we were talking about the U.S. game and what needs to change and how it can grow. That was such a memorable episode to me. And that was one of our first like big time growth episodes when we reached out to you and we started reaching out to other people of that sort who were, you know, bigger than us in the soccer world. Writers. We reached out to writers for the athletic. Eventually we've had Guillermo Rivera, Paul Tenorio, Sam Stexel on. And then uh, a couple players, we, 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 I just, you know, just put out a word and they're like, Hey, I'd come on the podcast. And we're like, Oh, really, Lavelle Palmer? We'll come on the podcast. Uh, Jamaican international Chicago fire player. He comes on, and then from there, we just, you know, this community uh, really supported us. And the most integral part, we feel like, has been uh, we do it live on YouTube. So there's a live chat uh, feature where people are talking with us, interacting with the show, we're responding to the comments and the questions. And it allows us to take the shows into different places than we sometimes, you know, think it's going to go. So that's been, it's just been a real blast. We've had a lot of support for the community. And I mean, in some of our biggest, uh, our shows, I mean, if I got to put up a, a, a soccer uh, Mount Rushmore, it's, uh, we had Peter Wilt, a GM and ex president for the Chicago Fire. Uh, on our show, it was a fantastic interview. We had Peter Nowak, the first Chicago Fire player ever to be selected, uh, to be signed to the team, won a championship as a player and a coach in MLS. We had an incredible conversation with him. Uh, just incredible people that our show has been able to put us in contact to and let us bring those conversations to the fire community. And really, that's what it's about. It's taking on something like a different life of its own. We don't even feel like it's our podcast anymore. It's like just it's hashtag CF 97s baby. And we just put it out there so everybody can enjoy and have some fire uh, you know, content because it's just not available in Chicago. It's really, there's such a dearth of content in Chicago. The one of the third, the third largest metropolitan area it doesn't it's not talk about on the radio, on the sports TV. Uh, there's a few people here and there, uh, Fred Hubner namely. Uh, and, uh, but just we saw that gap and we're like, you know, we'll just put this out there for people who, who want to enjoy it. And it's just taken us on its life from there. And it's been, you know, grassroots podcast and that Jiggly, uh, Jiggly's been able to uh, also help facilitate that. That is, uh, that is awesome. Jiggly, uh, give us a little bit of your, your origin story of, you know, where you fell in love with the game uh, before you ever kind of had the opportunity to link up with James and the, the Spitting Fire podcast. The, the funny thing with me is that I feel like I, well, I'm much younger. I'm, I was born in 1999, so I was born after the fire were even created. But I feel like I'm kind of the dream of any soccer fan who wants to see, you know, soccer become a big thing because I've never had a time in my life that was not involving soccer. Uh, I was born, basically born into being a Chicago Fire fan, much like how anywhere else in the world you're born into your team. And yeah, but with like how that even happened. My dad decided to watch soccer. Like I, I think he said something about one day he was watching the, the world cup final where England won. And he just saw the queen handing, like handing out the medals. And he was like, that's neat. I, I, I might be misremembering the story, but he, apparently from there, you know, he started watching, you know, soccer games in between college football games, whenever they were there. And at some point he became a season ticket holder uh, an inaugural season ticket holder. And then I was born and I just stuck around for that entire time afterwards. When I was little, I would watch, I would try to watch as much soccer as I could. I watched Serie A when that was still on and 
easily to find easy to find areas. And I also watched Premier League and I got really into all the big name teams. And at some point that kind of faded away. And uh, I feel like the, re- the moment that my love for the game and especially for the Chicago Fire, like just sort of burst open was uh, when I moved out into the suburbs, I kind of felt like I wanted to hold on to something that was within my past. And that was the fire, which was a complete constant for me all throughout those years. But at the point that we moved, the fire were not a very good team. And I wanted to learn more about how that was possible, that this team that I grew up with that was amazing suddenly wasn't good anymore. And I used to do, you know, papers in classes about, okay, this is, this is the difference between this coach and this coach and what they did. And I don't remember what grades I got on those papers, but I, I'm not sure how good they were. And eventually I started just right. I joined uh, big soccer at a young age. Uh, my dad allowed me to join big soccer and I would talk with the old guys there. And at some point I started doing a weekly thing where I just say, this is what I think is happening right now. And at some point I grew into a want to write more and write about the team. And I eventually, you know, joined with SB nation. Uh, and then at some point I started doing podcasts as well on my own. And yeah, like that's where I found uh, the spitting fire podcast because it was just, it was another podcast and I felt, Hey, they might be open to bringing on somebody who has like, I don't have very much credibility as a writer, but like the slightest bit of helping them out and just finding a place to talk about the fire. Uh, Also involved in there is the Chicago Red Stars. And I've sort of just, that's kind of my life. Uh, Talking about the fire, talking about the Red Stars, writing about them, uh, trying to follow soccer as best I can. Perfect. So, um, now that we've got kind of a good foundation for origin stories and, and, you know, your, your, uh, loves of the game. Um, I want to, I want to zero in for a minute on the city of Chicago, Chicago fire, Chicago red stars. Um, and something James that you mentioned that, um, really kind of, I don't, it was, you didn't dwell on it, but it really kind of stuck out to me. And that is the coverage of the sport in the city of Chicago, the, the, the coverage of the fire as well as the red stars. Um, and, and to me, I, I would love to know why you think the city itself on the media side, isn't giving you the kind of content and coverage that you were hoping for um, when you were searching, you know, for covering the, the team and the game, MLS, NWSL, et cetera. So I, I'd love to hear from both of you, your thoughts there on why, you, why you didn't feel that the, the coverage, the media coverage isn't uh, as much as say, maybe, you know, the bears, the, the, the Cubs, white, Sox, Bulls, etc. Well, that you said it right there. We're from the, the biggest problem is we're in Bears country, <laughs> and furthermore, at past that, it's almost like it's Cubs country. And I'm a Southsider. I don't know about Jiggly, but I'm a Southsider. So, 
I'm a White Sox fan, and it, it, most of the coverage kind of gets devoted to the uh, the Bears and the Cubs. And after that, the White Sox do get more attention than even, say, our World Championship Blackhawks, who for a while there were just the greatest team in Chicago, and even still really didn't get much lip service on the radio. It's just uh, in Chicago, there's just this little hierarchy on uh, it, that it, this bias that plays out on sports radio, TV, and sports radio. I'm sorry, sports TV and sports radio with, with the, uh, with the personalities. Now, some of the personalities do have an affinity for soccer and, uh, but it does seem like they're kind of coached not to, uh, really talk about it or bring it out of too much. I mean, we've, we've reached out to several people. We, we tried to add Mully, uh, uh Mully and, of uh, Mully and Haw up on the morning show out in our show. They, they talk soccer every so often. He's willing to talk Manchester United, but he really won't talk Chicago fire. Uh, they never really talk about the radio. They have their own podcast uh, that's separate, and they kind of keep that. And that's the other thing. Like the producers in Chicago, uh, it's just like there's not a lot of time to talk about Chicago Fire. Uh, one thing though, there is Fred Hubner. Uh, he is one guy who definitely talks Chicago Fire, uh, but he's more so on the weekends. And, he'll, and what he can do, he can devote, you know devote maybe 10, 15 minutes here and there for the Chicago Fire, break it down, which is fantastic. But even still, uh, the level of engagement, and level of interest among the Chicago fans is just not there they're just not they're not interested in the product uh there's there's the interest in the product is so lax even when they brought in bastion schweinsteiger and we filled up the place for you know a couple games a handful of games but really until you saw zlatan ibrahimovic when he came in the door that's when we were packing the house and uh the the chicago fire missing on chicharito was another big mistake and i think that that that's the thing they're lacking this engagement with their with their base and understanding of the, the the constituency here of the fans and what they want to care about and what they like more fans in Chicago are paying attention to Liga MX than are paying attention to MLS. That's the first thing that they got to overcome. And that's not even addressed in the radio as well. I mean, like they never talk Liga MX on the radio, but still, it still somehow overshadows Chicago fire. I think, I think in the, in the city of Chicago, uh, Jiggly. Yeah. I think you, you're, you kind of got into what my point was going to be, which was, I mean, I look to the places where I grew up, which it was, you know, south side of Chicago, uh, and then like right around Midway Airport, south side, and then I moved out to the suburbs. And when I was on the south side, we did talk about soccer a lot at the lunch table. You know, was, these are like children, but <laughs> we talked a lot about soccer, and it was mostly Liga Mackies. When I brought up the fire, they'd say Chivas could beat the fire. <laughs> and so there was some talk of the fire, but it was mostly, you know, Liga Mackies, they liked Aguilas, they liked Chivas, they liked Cruz Azul. And then when I moved out to the suburbs, no talk of Liga Mackies, but there was all this talk about, oh, we love the Premier League. I'm a big Arsenal fan. Uh, I've been their biggest fan for the past two months. And <laughs> and it's something that I've seen where no one really wants to talk about the fire because they're not good. And there's also this added thing of, well, yeah, you mentioned about this is a Bears uh, city. Uh, I had a I had a radio teacher who worked within sports radio for a little bit. And, you know, there was there was a really slow day on the phone lines. And somebody just mentioned to him, just mention the Bears. But this is the offseason. They're not doing anything. Just mention the Bears. He mentions the Bears and the phone lines light up because if you mention the Bears the next second on sports radio, you will get callers in with opinions. and. Yeah, you've got to compete with the Bears, you've got to compete with the Hawks, you've got to compete with the Sox. But at the same time, if you're not doing anything to help yourself even to work with those teams, you don't even have to compete with them. You're not in the same league, you're not with the same sport, you don't have to compete. 
And I think that the Red Stars have been doing that pretty dang well with uh, connecting, you know, it, it's a bit of a archaic way of promotion, but I mean, we've got uh, Kaleo High, JJ Ertz, and uh, Emily Boyd, who all have boyfriends or husbands in the NFL, and you connect them. JJ Watt and, yep. and Zach Ertz, high profile. <laughs> Some of the most high profile NFL players have wives in Chicago playing for the Red Stars. Uh, the other big thing, though, uh, and you're, you've hit on it, was that, is that the, the Blackhawks, every Blackhawks game, every NFL Bears game, every Cubs game, every White Sox game is on English spoken radio. It's on an English broadcast on the radio. There is no such thing for Chicago Fire. And I think that's going to be their first critical key. They got to turn to make to get back into the to the ears and uh, and the eyes of the city. Yeah, and also yeah. local television. <laughs> That's secondary, in my opinion. But well, yes, also very important. Well, I, I think that is um, that is a key point uh, as well in terms of coverage and 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 that's why I was curious to see what you guys were thinking in terms of. Um, you know the the coverage of the of the sport, the the coverage of the fire specifically uh, in the Chicago market. Um, you know, big city, uh, one of America's biggest cities, and uh, has you know a, a plethora of professional sports. Um, but I don't think I don't think that is the issue. I don't think the fact that, I, that there is the Blackhawks, the Cubs, the White Sox, the Bears, the Bulls. I don't see that as a problem for the Red Stars or the Fire. Um, to me, I, I think the point that you're you're hitting on here is is a key point. And I think if we zoom out of Chicago for a minute and we look at the United States as a whole, um, I think that is a, is is an important point. Is if we want to create a footballing culture, a, a soccer culture uh, in all of our cities, not just MLS cities, in WSL cities. USL cities, but I'm talking about every city in America um, that that we if we want to really create a true soccer footballing culture, we have to cover the sport. We have to do it on a granular level, meaning something that you identified there to me is really important. Having the the matches pre-game, during the game, post-game on the radio, English speaking, Spanish speaking, uh, I, I'm a, you know, both and all of the above, you know, option D kind of guy. It in is that on re- Spanish. It is, in Chicago, it is on Spanish radio. It is on 1200 AM in Chicago, but... It needs to get on English radio as well. I definitely that's I think that's the critical part. Yeah, I agree completely. And that that is an area to me where where um, Major League Soccer, the NWSL, the USL, NISA, even getting into your um, you know uh, amateur level soccer that's uh, your regional leagues or the NPSL, uh, UPSL, etc. I think. All of those clubs have got to start working on creating better media strategies. If we're gonna, if we're gonna really reach out and create a true footballing, uh, you know, soccer culture, a rich culture, 
We've got to cover the sport, and that means that, you know what, in the beginning, it might be that you're not getting a huge audience. It might be that this feels like more of a passion project than it is a profitable project, but over the long run, it will pay off. It is it is part of, you know, if you travel to Europe, if you travel to Central and South America, it doesn't matter if you are in those countries where soccer is such a big passion piece, the game is covered plain and simple. It is covered. There is no doubt about it. And, um, you know, to me, that is an area we got to get better at. If we, if we really want to see, um, you know, the sport continue to grow and, and really, you know, reach uh, the next level of growth in this country, both men's and women's side, um, you know, as well. So I want to, I want to go back into Chicago for a second after we, we zoomed out talking about the media and the, and the strategy piece there. Um, you, you mentioned that, you know, Liga MX, Liga MX are, is, is probably more popular even than the fire uh, or the red stars. Why, do you think that is there in the Chicago market? Uh, I don't know. Jiggly, do you have a theory? Demographics. I mean, it's a, we have a very, and it's not just like MX. It's probably just from our own personal experiences with where we've lived, because, you know, as I said, I, it changed so completely when I moved out to the suburbs. And I'm sure it would change completely if I moved up to the North side where it's very much, no one wants to watch MLS. no, a lot of people I've talked to, they don't want to care about MLS. And it's a lot because, you know, our team is bad. They want to support a team that's good. And there's also the idea that I've constantly heard over and over is, you know, the quality of play, which I think is a complete, it, it's, it doesn't exist. <laughs> the Liga MX is faster though. And sometimes more entertaining to watch and, and, and for, for many other people. I mean, that's the other thing. It's true. It's fun. It's uh, it's fun to watch, and I think that uh, the thing is is that you have a high Hispanic demographic in Chicago, and they will support their their teams, and they will support their families' teams, and then you have uh, I know the uh, the German population, the, uh, the Eastern European population that I know they still support teams that are in Eastern Europe. They have their own Bundesliga teams, their own Extraklasse teams, and then if you don't have any sort of connection to a team in another league, most people go to gravitate towards La Liga and supporting Barcelona or Real Madrid, or they go to the Premier League and they support Arsenal or Manchester United. So it's very much a Chicago is a very, is a sleeping giant in terms of supporting soccer. There are, Absolutely. There's a lot of soccer sport in Chicago. It's just that none of it is focused on Chicago. A lot of it is focused elsewhere. So that's why you don't see it very much. So do you think, you know, looking at that issue, I mean, to me, you identified one thing that stands out to me about uh, the U.S. And it's something that I think Major League Soccer has got to wrap its head around, its heart around, its arms around in WSL and every other American club and league in this country. And that is there are a lot of soccer first people in this country. There is a deep soccer culture that is here, but, and this is the big, but we have to figure out a way for American soccer to connect with them. 
It's our job. If, 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 if I am trying to create, um, you know, let, let's take it out of soccer for a second. Let's go into technology pre, you know, uh, iPhone pre, you know, Apple watch. And you have all of this, this tech that hasn't come out. The, the iPod hasn't come out and Steve jobs comes back to Apple and he knows his company is in trouble. He comes back in. They, they're not making up any ground, uh, against Microsoft and other companies that they're, they're just, they're not getting it done. And he didn't go out and blame the market. He said, we're not doing a good enough job. Our products are not good enough. Our deliveries are not good enough. And and then, you know, you see that company, Apple, then just completely begin to revolutionize um, their, their product lineup, their strategy. And, and we all know, looking backwards, what that has, you know, done to the technology market and more importantly, what has that done to the company, Apple itself? If we go back into the soccer, uh, you know, put the soccer hat back on for a minute. Major League Soccer, the U.S. Soccer Federation, NWSL, NISA, USL, NPSL, and, and every American youth soccer club in this country. There is a ton of interest in the sport. We know it. You can see it in in the levels of registered players. You can see it in the conversations, hear it in the conversations you're having and observing with people in your own communities. Why are we not connecting Instead of us blaming the market, we've got to go and, and do introspection and go, what are we not doing? Why are we not connecting? What are things we could do? So I think one of the things you mentioned was a media strategy uh, to kind of sum up that part of the conversation was a media strategy. We've got to do better at media. And I, I, I cannot agree with you more on that point. If we, if uh, we were if we were to look at some other things, what are some other things if we were to look at Chicago specifically? Because I think in Chicago you could find that could could give us an insight in some into some other places in the country. What are some things that the fire and the red stars specifically could do to ingratiate themselves and do better at connecting with their community right in Chicago? I think that's uh, it's something that I that I always talk about, which is like better better targeted marketing uh we we've uh, done a lot of our focus marketing on the hispanic communities and that's great but i mean we kind of are lackluster everywhere else and so we've made we've shifted focus to the north side but that's not going to help either we need to make sure that if we're going all all over uh, it's something that uh mls as a whole can work towards as well but if we look all over chicago it's it's called the uh, what the biggest small town in the world. It's very, every single neighborhood is fairly insular, and if we want to make sure that we get more people, then you need to make sure that those people in those neighborhoods feel connected to the team. And each of those neighborhoods is different. So I mean, you know, out in the suburbs, most of the kids they play soccer. They they do, and that's the thing. It's the thing that you soccer is probably one of the most popular sports. Yeah, one of those a hotbed for sure. And uh, like, yeah, in high school, it's one of the most popular sports to play. So it's something that you need to you need to notice who you're marketing to with these things and then how to market to those specific people. I don't think that uh, I think that there's some times where they get it right. And there's a lot of times that they get it wrong and they need to figure out 
a way to target better. I guess. I think that I think that it comes down to this, and you can see it that it's focused in Chicago, and you could pull out of that microcosm and see it focused all across the nation. It's that the MLS is fighting this idea of American exceptionalism that all Americans buy into. You look at the NHL, the NFL, the NBA; they're the perceived as the best leagues on the earth. They go and get the best players on the earth from China, from uh, England, from uh, Europe, from Lithuania, what have you. They'll bring them to the NBA. They bring them to the NFL. They bring them to the NHL. They uh, they go to they, they, those are perceived the best leagues in the in the world. MLS is perceived as an amateur league based upon uh, the biggest thing that, that's fighting is you know this it, because of the rules that are designed to hamper it. And so I think that that alone is the biggest thing that everybody in Chicago is fighting a, a, on a larger scale is just knowing that there is an inferior product here and that why am I going to pay attention to an inferior product when I got a free willing club like Manchester United, albeit in a struggling club right now, uh, just like in that I can pay attention to a club that actually cares about spending and trying to win versus a team that's got the governor on it uh, here in Chicago. And, and also because it has a governor on it, just has such an inferior product. And even when it does try to compete in the global in the global market, it hampers itself with rule after rule designed to 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 undercut and hamper its uh, its ability to grow and its ability to compete with Liga MX, who's right here in its backyard. I think that yeah, I, I would absolutely agree with the American exceptionalism idea. I uh, I have a friend in Wyoming who you know they don't really get much soccer coverage out in Wyoming, but since uh, what? Why do I? Why do I forget right now? But I, I forget whether it's NBC or Fox who covers Premier League. I think it's NBC, right? NBC yeah, yeah, Sports. NBC. Yeah, he gets NBC, so he can watch Premier League. So he's a Premier League fan. Uh, and when I talk to him about uh, MLS, he always gets a bit indignant about it. Well, I probably I'm probably the one who gets more indignant about him not liking MLS because he says it's an inferior product. If he wants to watch good hockey, he watches NHL. He doesn't watch the KHL. If he wants to watch good and wants to watch good basketball, he doesn't watch EuroLeague. He watches the NBA, and all of those leagues are in America. So, yeah, the idea of I want to support the best around, I want to see the best quality around. There's a lot of people that say we don't want to watch American soccer, and that once again goes back to my constant think of the reason why Chicago doesn't want to watch the Chicago Fire is because they're not the best team. The reason why the Red Stars probably have a better chance of growing bigger than the fire is because they're the best. They're probably one of the best women's teams in the world. And it's just really difficult to sell the fire if they're not good, especially in Chicago, which is a city where you need to have wins in order to get people in. The only two teams in Chicago that can fill a stadium while being completely trash is the Chicago bears. Because as we said, Chicago is a bears town. And the Chicago Cubs, because it's lovable that they lose, you know? So and if we're being real, even the Chicago White Sox struggle to pull in, even when they are winning. I was there, there the year that they won the 05 World Series. Uh, I was to a couple games that year, and they had trouble drawing more than 12,000 to Chicago White Sox Park. And, and even that was when they were winning. So, I mean, like, there are other issues, too. So looking at um, the some of the things you, you, you just were talking about in terms of the limitations of the fire, um, as well as, um, 
the red stars. However, the difference being that with the red stars, there is uh, there's there's not near the level of competition globally for the NWSL as there is for Major League Soccer. Um, but that is changing. I mean, the the the, the women's league in Spain, uh, in Italy, in France, in England, um, in other parts of Europe is is growing and at growing at a very rapid pace. We're seeing attendance numbers um dwarf the nwsl at times um and and it's not to say that is every week or that's ongoing but that that gives you a little bit of glimpse and insight into you know what's coming if you're if you're a forecaster you you have to recognize that this uh this growth pattern and trajectory of women's uh football in europe is on the rise and there's there's not going to be any leveling off anytime soon as far as i can tell however it's still nowhere near the level of competition that mls and other American clubs and leagues have to deal with. So, you know, we could sit here and and say, like Don Garber, well, we should just turn the TV off for everybody in America so they can't compare, um, you know, MLS to anybody else, and that'll help us. Well, that's never going to happen. So, um, we know that's not going to happen. Um, and so we have, in, instead of lamenting that and complaining about that, and I, I think what we have to do is, is uh, you know, be realistic and say, that's not changing fans like your friend in Wyoming who has access to the premier league on NBC is all, you know, he's always going to be able to see uh, the premier league on NBC. So, so what do we do to combat that? And I think that's to me where the federation uh, has to really do a better job from a structural and systemic standpoint um, in, in, in its strategy of how to really grow the game. I definitely think we've got to do a better job with with media and the coverage of the game in all of our markets. I think we've definitely got to do a better job on the marketing side uh, and being smarter with our communications and and how we interact with people. Uh, even the Federation themselves have gotten in a little uh, hot water on social media over the last probably 30, 45 days with some of their Twitter comments they had to come back on and apologize for a few days later um, where they were a little snarky. Um, but this then if we really look at, you know, why, why did the fire struggle on certain things? And you mentioned they're hampered by rules they are hampered by some of these things that uh, they've tried to use to kind of prop up the league and create competitive balance, etc. cetera. Um, I think, I think on a macro level, I mean, we could get into the weeds of this policy and that policy. And I, I tend to, to, to make fun of MLS when it comes to Tam, Gam, Cam, Spam. I just start making up anything that, that ends with AM because uh, <laughs> I feel like the next rule is going to have something like that but regardless uh instead of getting into the weeds of that i think on a macro level your point is is spot on and that is the league has got to figure out how to improve quality across the league rather than holding quality back to make everyone equal and if if they can figure that out if they can try to change their mentality in regards to that then i think we can we can make some 
Jackson made your headway on that from a policy standpoint uh, on the structure and system uh, strategy that needs to be adopted uh, to, to improve that for the NWSL and as well for MLS and the USL and NISA and others. So uh, how do you guys see that from a, from a federation standpoint? You, you got you got Chicago, the home of U.S. Soccer Federation, right there in your backyard. Um, you know, how do you see the federation's role in helping improve uh, the opportunities of, of NWSL and MLS and USL as well as other uh, clubs and leagues around the country? The first thing is they're not doing enough. They're not doing enough, uh, right? With the pay, there's so many problems, and, and we all know the idea is pay to play, blah, 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 trying to make money off of soccer. And certainly people got to get paid in America. It, 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 they're dealing with that. They're dealing with having to uh, realize that, oh, we have to develop players while also propping up and having rules for a good league. And you have to look at, like, you know, the progenitors like the English premiership who have limitations on how many foreign players they can have in the side. Although it doesn't usually seem to hamper these clubs and they're bringing in the best players in the world. And so they have to bring in that idea. They also really have to come to terms with this idea of parody and, um, and parody in most sports in America, because those are the happen to be also happen to be the best leagues in the world. Parody can work in those leagues because they're the best. It's the best league in the world. You're absorbing and just sucking up the best players in the world. So you can afford to distribute those players in your league. Um, but USL, or I'm sorry, MLS, USL, all these guys are fighting against a sinking ship. If that's their mentality, because they're fighting against the MX and other leagues that are pull, trying to pull in the best players in the world that don't have rules on parity, that don't have rules on that stuff. So they have to find a way to find that competitive balance because America does. We want competitive balance. I mean, like we kind of value that. There's a value in America that we see in having, you know, the Yankees having to play by similar rules to the Kansas City Royals. And then we love to see the benefits of that, right? Because look, yeah, right? Kansas City Royals did manage to win a championship recently, but that's certainly a small ball club compared to the Yankees, who can't outspend them by a mile. But it's we, but we like that there are some amount of there's an amount of fairness, and MLS has to find that balance of parity, also with dealing with the world game and taking the governor off this league. It, it, I don't know how they do it, but they haven't done it yet, and they really haven't come to grips with parody and and their its place in their league i i feel like i might be a bit of an outcast within this podcast because i i uh i've done some studying on like how uh mls was created i know uh dan uh dan you probably know a whole lot more about it than i do but i've done some research on the way that it is and i mean it's kind of the reason why MLS has so many regulations on it is because the previous one didn't and it failed miserably. It imploded on itself. And the reason why MLS started off with all these regulations was to make sure that didn't happen. But I do agree that, you know, in the future, we need to take off those training wheels. Uh, These are training wheels. They're not meant to stay on for the entire time. And they might need to stay on a bit longer. They might have needed to have come off, you know, five years ago. So it's not exactly that we're limiting ourselves because we're just limiting ourselves. We're limiting ourselves because we're trying to keep us, we're trying to keep our, us from falling over. And yeah, I would say that we do need to work on that. I think it may be because I'm a bit insulated within Chicago. I don't focus too much on the grand scheme of things with USSF, the, uh, with 
you know, I don't even pay much attention to the men's national team or the women's national team for that matter. But I know the way that I am here and from what I've ta- how, who I've talked to and what I've talked about and what I see around the league where soccer has been the most successful has been places where there's a strong civic pride. Uh, Portland, strong civic pride. You see soccer everywhere. Atlanta, they marketed straight to that strong civic pride. You see soccer. You see soccer in the, even in the TV show that's named, that, that has the same name as the team, you know? And uh, you see that in Seattle somewhat. I haven't seen any of that in Chicago because the team hasn't really done a good job of selling the civic pride. The, who I have seen sell to it is the Red Stars, who are outperforming uh, in terms of the way that they should be. They, the Red Stars should not have been able to get 17,000 out at Toyota Park, according to the reasoning behind why the Chicago Fires say, oh, we can't get that many people out there. It's because the Red Stars went out there and, you know, a lot of them were free tickets. And But the thing is, is that they had a fan base who was excited about their team. They had the numbers to back them up that they're a good team. And they went out and they said, this is Chicago's team. You should support Chicago's team. And, then, and it also helped that they had the best player in the world. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, At the time, who has since moved on. Yeah, who has since moved on and also was part of one of the greatest scoring tandems in the world. But, Talking yeah. about Sam Kerr, Sam Kerr of Australia. And uh, Yuki Nagasato, uh, who is... who? Okay, well, if we're going to talk about NWSL later, we'll save it for later. But ah. <laughs> it's very much you see that the Red Stars knew what they were doing and marketing to civic pride. And you're seeing the fire trying to do that a bit more. Uh, we saw with this last, uh, with this last player announcement, they had a, they had a bit of a nod to Malort, which is a, it was great. Very much a Chicago based thing. And they showed the new Chicago fire strikers walking into the bar. He sat down at a bar and, uh, they split a shot glass of Jepson's Malort, which is just a Chicago fire insider thing. And he, he, he took like, look, a look at the camera, like said cheers and took a sip. And then like, he's like, he's ready to play. And it was like instant fan, uh, over here. It was just so funny. It was awesome. You know, kind of not used to that style of marketing. It was in your, it was, you know, unexpected and fun and fresh. Yes. And that's something that, you know, the Red Stars had done for the longest time. And I think that the fire are finally realizing, Hey, this is a good idea. They, they even brought over, I think, at very least one person from the Red Stars. I think they may have brought over a couple more uh, in that in that media division. So it's something that the Red Stars have done well, much better than they than they should even be allowed to be. And I think that the Fire will need to do that. And in general, I think U.S. Soccer needs to be pushing a lot more. They shouldn't be saying we're the best league in the world. They shouldn't be trying to compare themselves to the best league in the world. We are your local team. We are you. We are a part. We should be a part of you. And, you, and it, it sounds like you're suggesting more of the college uh, style of marketing, like college teams, college football teams. Absolutely. And it's a bit narcissistic for me to say this, but you know, the way the way that I describe my origin story, I feel like we need more fans like that, uh, more fans who have grown up with their team, and we're not seeing that too much, especially not in Chicago, because uh, there's a lot of people who, there's a lot of kids who may have grown up with the fire going into like, you know, when they were seven or eight, but by the time that they hit their teens, the team was bad. They didn't want to go to games anymore. And we're going to 
be hitting a lost generation very soon. I was talking about that with a few other people who are very involved with the sports culture here. That's we're going to hit that lost generation. It's not going to be fun. So in in looking at uh, you know the Chicago Fire and and the the uh, the Chicago Red Stars, um, I I think I think you're seeing really two things at play. You obviously have your your day to day twenty four seven three sixty five local operation that has to be accountable for doing the best with within whatever system, whatever league, whatever community, whatever office complex they're in. They've got to make the best decisions. And so you guys are identifying, hey, here's some things locally that we're seeing they need to do a better job of, both of them, uh, and, and, and how you think some of the, the Red Stars decisions in the past have been a little bit better uh, than the fire decisions. And, 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 and so that's, you know, on a micro level, I think that's absolutely spot on. You can, you can never, um, you know, uh, basically absolve yourself of accountability and responsibility for doing the best wherever you are. Um, no matter whether you're a small club uh, in England or you are the Chicago Fire in the in MLS, you, you have to still find the best people, put them in your front office, empower them to do a great job. Yes, I get some of the macro level, which is the other a- aspect of this, um, that has an effect. You know, you have, uh, you guys mentioned uh, Perry, or competitive balance versus, you know, sporting merit in this quest and push for um, excellence in, in, in raising the stakes for everyone. And I think one of the things that American sports fans um, ha- have never really experienced on a grand scale with the NBA, with the NFL, with Major League Baseball, the NHL, is in an open system you have uh, more teams to stock your league. So when a team is struggling and goes down, there's someone coming in to take their place. Um, you know, it, it wasn't that long ago that Manchester City was were, were, were you know perennial dwellers in the championship. And now, obviously, they've had a lot of success over the last 10 years in the Premier League um, and in, or, you know, one of the top clubs and recognizable clubs in the world. And, and their ownership group now even operated team in MLS that is is one way to go about it it's my preferred way of going about it rewarding sporting merit but in the absence of that in American sports we we don't really know what that's like so there's always this worry like well we can't just let the Yankees go and spin 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 and let the Royals never have a chance and that that's true because if you're in a close league and there's never an opportunity for for other teams to really build then you are you are gonna you're gonna put yourself in a situation like what happened with the original NASL, so um, that that is certainly the case, guys. Uh, it's it's been great having you on the show. I've I've got one last question for each of you, and then uh, feel free to to plug your show and your podcast, and for people to follow you. And here's my last question: What do you think of the new Chicago Fire logo? Okay. Uh, I'll start. I'll start. Uh, it is. 
horrific. I, I, I do not like it. Every time I see it, it makes me more angry and I just dislike it more and more and more and more and more. Uh, there's been just great little examples here and there of just like pointing to, uh, to rebrands that work, crests that work, new crests. It's been the summer or the winter of our discrest tent over here in Chicago. It's just been awful. It, 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 we see all, a couple of these other Colombia uh, or what's the club? Para, I don't know. Some some South Ecuador. American club. Venezuela. No. Venezuela. Ecuador. Ecuador. Was it Ecuador? Uh, Ecuador. It, Ecuador. Yeah, it was Ecuador. Was what they did was ref- it was great. It was awesome. You could see the 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 the, um, the homage that they paid to the past. You saw this in, you saw this elsewhere. Tulsa. There's other places. There was also also another club that that decided. Oh, the fan the fan discontent was so much that they blew it. They went right back to changing it. We've seen this in England too. It's just that the way that this was foisted upon us, the way that was was t- taken down, put down on high. It was just disgusting. It was awful. It, it showed a total lack of disconnect to the Chicago to the to, to the fans. Which we saw the connect in that Jepson's little uh, little hint of a commercial. When we have that connection, that's the engagement that the fire are looking for. But what what we saw with this crest deployment was uh, horrendous. The colors are all wrong. It looks like a, ma- a max up a mix up of RSL and you guys all know the jokes RSL and Vancouver Whitecaps. It's just like it's like they had a baby. It just. It's revolting to me on many levels, not to mention some of the other controversies about it that I don't know if I want to mention. Jiggly, what about you? What do you, what do you think of this logo? I mean, he said a lot of it. Uh, I think you were getting at something, but I'm going to take that in a different direction. I wrote an entire article, an, an entire article about the fact that we have a crown in our logo because Chicago is a working class city. Chicago does not recognize a monarchy except maybe the dailies. Okay. So it's, very much a, it doesn't work within the city of Chicago to have a crown there. You can put a, you know, New York is the empire's state. You've got uh, LA, which is, you know, this fairy tale kingdom. But Chicago is for the working class. It's, you know, if anything, it's a, a fairly communist city. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, you've got the, uh, you had the Haymarket riots in Chicago. So it's very much, it doesn't represent the city of Chicago. And I think what they were trying to do with this new logo was to erase the past decade of failure that we saw with the Chicago fire. And the problem is, is that by removing that old logo, it removes all the good history that was behind it and instead replaces it with something that will be, even though it wasn't around for that entire decade, this logo will be associated with that decade of failure because this is what came out of it. This is what came out of that, that horribleness, you know, Daniel, uh, D- D- Daniel, we had one of the innovators and designers of the crest of the original Chicago Fire crest, Peter Wilt, the ex-president and ex-Chicago uh, Fire uh, GM, who was you know played a role in the design of the first jerseys and the colors and the history and the choice of the crest. He played a significant role in that. We had him on just to have any and he spoke about it. I would highly suggest you guys interested in his opinion. Check it out. He was also not a fan. He pointed out just the lack of connect, just a disconnect, the just a total, uh, it's like they cut off the history, just like as Jiggly was mentioning. It's just like the total erasure of the past. Also, it, the, the connection to the city was so limited, and they're like, oh, the colors, oh, that's somehow Chicago because we said so. Oh, look, the design, oh, it's a, it's a fire coming out of the city because we said so. 
And they could have used different parts of designs. And we immediately saw five, within five, 10, 20 minutes, designers go out and just instantaneously make a better design, more innovative, better looking crest. Uh, and another thing they point out was how simple and simplistic they wanted it, that a kid could draw it, but it looks like a kid drew it. And that's the big problem. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, just, I totally agree. It was, it was, it was, it was not good. Um, so, so guys, so the th- Chicago star though, it, it was one big suggestion instead of that. And that change alone would have made it more palatable. I, so, yeah, yeah, I, that was just, I agree. I agree. Well, guys, uh, plug your plug your podcast, how they can follow you, maybe even on social media as uh, as we come to a close. And uh, really do appreciate you guys coming on the show today. So, James Jiggly, yeah, let, let let the audience know how they can connect with you uh, with your podcast as well as uh, on social media. Absolutely. This is James of Spitting Fire YT. You can check us out on YouTube. We're under Spitting Fire YT. We're also on Spotify, Anchor, Google, uh, Google Play, uh, the iTunes podcast. We're on pretty much every time one of those big things. But our big thing is that we do our shows live on YouTube with a live chat. So we love having an audience there able to chime in, comment, help be part of the show. And Jiggly's a big part of our show, too, as well, as well as having a couple other different enterprises. Jiggly? Uh, yeah, I'm Jiggly. You can find me on Twitter at Jiggly. Well, guys, thank, thanks for coming on the show. We really do appreciate you spending some time with us today. Look forward to having you back on again soon, and uh, best of luck uh, going through the rest of the winter up there in Chicago. Thanks for joining the show. We're going to need it. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, guys. And uh, that was James and Jiggly from the Spitting Fire podcast. Uh, Thanks for tuning in today. We'll be right back after this. No one, no man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. Bad water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly transforms them. It changes everything. You could know that you'd made a difference. You could know that you had truly impacted the life of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens. Thanks for watching the show today. Thanks for tuning in on this Wednesday morning. Thanks to the guys over at the Spinning Fire Podcast for joining the show as well. It was a great, uh, great chat with them and uh, to talk things all Chicagoland sports as well as American soccer in general and to get their different and varying viewpoints. Um, 
really insightful stuff, and, and I hope you got a lot out of it as, as I did. Uh, as always, you can watch the show on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. Uh, search for Daniel Workman or the Daniel Workman Show, and you'll find it. You can also catch me on Twitter or Instagram at Daniel Workman. Thanks for watching. We will see everyone again tomorrow. Tomorrow.